Super Bowl Sunday, Atlanta, January 30th, 2000. The big game was a big thriller and came down to one final play. The game is over! The game is over! But the real drama took place off the field. Ray Lewis, a star linebacker for the Baltimore Ravens, found himself at a post-game party where a drunken altercation turned deadly. By the time the clock ran out, he and two members of his entourage were charged with double homicide. A media blitz followed, and Lewis was soon playing defense again. In court. It's one of the most infamous crimes in sports history, and we're tackling it head-on. Today on Death in Entertainment. Live from Los Angeles. 911, what is your emergency? Here in Hollywood now. Two counts of murder, injury, and death. Oh my God! Shocking new details that has stunned the entertainment world. Um, this makes me a little nervous. The hair stood up on my arms. Just like in the movies. Ah! What do you call this thing anyway? Death in Entertainment. Hey, hey, hey. Hello. Yo, yo. What is going on, Deados? What's up? It's Super Bowl week. Whoop, whoop. Are you ready for some football? <laughs> Are you ready for some murder? Oh. the real question. Yeah. What is going on, everybody? My name's Kyle Plouffe. My name is Mark Mulcairn. And I'm Alejandro Dowling. And today, for the first time, Alejandro is covering a sports star. Oh, yeah. The first sports one. Out of my hands for the first time. A sports star or a wrestler is going, this guy's a little bit. Oh, fun. you're not calling wrestler sports stars? Well, they are. I would say they are. Mm, so now he's acknowledging ah. that it's a ridiculous thing. But I am the resident <laughs> athlete and wrestler guy. Yeah. So I'm happy That's, to pass I've seen on. No trophies, I see no accolades. That's, <laughs> That's self-proclaimed. Yes. Yeah. Nothing to verify any of this prowess. <laughs> <laughs> Alleged prowess. Yeah. Well, I'm happy that uh, I get to pass the torch over to Mr. Dowling here. Okay. What I, wow. You should be thrilled right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got my pads on. Speech. Hel- helmet tightened. I'm <laughs> yeah. ready to go, yeah. coach. <laughs> You're like, Kyle is such an athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Put me in, coach. Yeah, I'm, I'm ready to die. <laughs> <laughs> well, put us in to January 30th, 2000. Mm. Let's go. Decent segue. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the weekend of January 28th to January 30th, 2000. Super Bowl weekend. The year 2000. Wait, was this? I don't remember this year. The Patriots were not in it. They were not. That was the next year. Yeah. yeah. This is pre 9 11. No, that was two years <laughs> later. It's pre 9 11. Two years later was the Patriots. Yeah. This it was is way before. Yeah. Uh, this is the Rams. This is the Rams. Yeah. And this is the Titans. The Kurt Warner years. I remember that. Yeah. yeah. But I want to know what was going on besides the Super Bowl that weekend. Okay. Can you help us with that? Oh, yeah. Um, I, <laughs> I was like, wait a second. What were the top things in pop culture? Number one movie at this time. Eye of the Beholder starring Ashley Judd as a female serial killer being stalked by a P.I. played by Ewan McGregor. What I forget about this movie. It was a flop. Opened uh, $5.9 million. At that time, if, you, if your movie opened at $5.9 million, it sucks. But it was <laughs> number one. It would go on to gross only $16 million 
um, about a hundred million dollar less than Double Jeopardy, which came out the year before, also with Ashley Judd. Yeah, wow. so she was in a lot of hits, and then this one came out, opened number one, yeah. but it was a pretty soft opening. Yeah, that and was then bad. It did not recover. But like that. Ewan McGregor, like he was, he was a pretty big '90s star. He should have. Yeah, but I think before, he's hot off of maybe, maybe. Oh, maybe it was uh, the Star Wars movie that fucking drowned him. Yeah, besides Star Wars and Moulin Rouge, he was in a lot of indie like non money makers. Yeah. yeah, he has a weird trajectory. He probably just made some bad choices. And the director of Eye of the Beholder is the guy that did Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Oh, well, and welcome to Whoop Whoop. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> you could have just made those up. Uh, You've really you. never heard of Priscilla, Queen of the Dead. No, is that good? With uh, Guy Pierce. Guy Pierce. Oh no, I, I never. And seen Terrence that. Stamp. Oh no, yeah, I, that was a big '90s drag queen movie from Australia. Oh, I didn't know about. It. It's like they're Tu Wong Fu, basically. Yeah, it was. That. Yeah, and so I think Tu Wong Fu was the answer to Priscilla because it was a big hit. Oh, okay. and I think with this movie, he was out of his element doing a big Hollywood thriller. Yeah, he bit off a little more than he could chew. Yes. And what was on the music charts? Uh, number one song, I Knew I Loved You by Savage Garden, which is like a song you hear like at a CVS you know, yeah. these days. <laughs> it topped the charts for four weeks. Wow. Savage Garden is still a lame fucking 90s band. Cherry Cola. Yeah. That was a banger. Yeah. They owned the charts for the next month. Yeah. That band probably owns half of Encino or something. They probably have like tons of money. Yeah. Uh, number one TV show, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Of course, how could you miss this one? Is that your final answer? Yeah. yeah I'm intense, and I do this show. <laughs> Galman, where are you? <laughs> yeah. Rock Gal- show. Galman, it's 9-11, okay? <laughs> the eighth plane is hit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was the weirdest uh, coverage of 9-11, was watching him and Kelly Lee or, or whoever. Ke- was Kelly Ripa. Kelly yeah. Ripa, yeah. Telling her story about the Tigger lunchbox she bought yeah. while crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the second plane. While hit. the world is <laughs> yeah, yeah. burning. around. <laughs> Pentagon's on fire. But tell us about your lunchbox. Um, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire occupied seven out of the top ten rankings, including the top three slots, average 17.6 million viewers. Wow. So to say that show was a hit is an and understatement. You couldn't like if you if you aired the assassination of a president right now, you could not get 17.6 million. <laughs> oh million. no. And the fact that the show was cheap to produce. They milked it for all they could. Oh, and yeah. All they had to do was pay out a million dollars once in a while. Right. And not that often. Not that often. Some people even got off on the first question. I wonder how many times they, like, if they lost too much, they're like, let's get some dumber audience people. Yeah. They used, like, the bad people. Well, I'll never forget when Norm MacDonald went on and he was trying to win it for charity. He was about to win the million dollars and knew the answer. And then he kept being like, you sure about that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And talked him out of it. Yeah. And so he... Uh, just settled with the money that he had. And then he was like, well, what would have you picked? And he's like, I already told you what I would have picked. Yeah, and then yeah. it was the right answer. He's like, why would you do this to me? <laughs> for charity. He's like, for charity. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it was evil Regis. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Regis got a bonus if he talked people out of it. <laughs> oh, my God. He might have. I need the money. Yeah. <laughs> Screw these dying kids. <laughs> I need to keep this gig. <laughs> uh, I'll kill the to, kids myself. I'm about to be replaced by Clay Aiken. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to get fired one day. 
I loved when the people were out on the first question, though. It would yeah. be, roses are red, violets are... Gray! Yeah, the person would be like, D, green, <laughs> final answer. They probably start pulling people out of insane asylums and throw them in there. Just because they, they didn't want to lose any more million dollars. You, in the alley! Yeah. <laughs> You're on the show! <laughs> also on ABC, Super Bowl 34 had 88.5 million people tuning in. Woo! To see the St. Louis Rams defeat the Tennessee Titans. The greatest show on turf. And that is the uh, the arena in which we're giving the backdrop of what mm-hmm. happened here. Yeah. That's a huge, important part of this story. Yes. Tennessee Titans had uh, a starter, a guy that we have covered, Mr. Steve Air McNair. Yeah, that's yeah. right. He was the quarterback. Was brutally murdered. Yeah. So, you know, these aren't the first NFL guys to get violent. In 2000, we had just lived through OJ a couple of years before. And, yeah. you know, he killed some people, allegedly. Maybe. We don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking of Norm MacDonald, like, when he did the ESPYs. Oh, yeah. When he hosted the ESPYs and was like, Reggie Bush, you, got, you won the Heisman Trophy. Charles something, Woodson, yeah. Charles Woodson. Something <laughs> they can never take away from you. Unless, you know, you kill your wife and some waiter. (laughs) And nobody laughs. They cut to Ken Griffey Jr. who's like, whoa, dude. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) But yeah, yeah, that's what's going on the weekend of January 30th, 2000. And yet it's what happened after the Super Bowl. That's the real story. So let's uh, dive right into it. Let's do a quarterback dive right into it. (laughs) Touchdown. Nice. Okay, so we're still at Super Bowl 34. Mm. Atlanta, January 30th, 2000. Mm. This was a big deal for the city. They wanted to put their best hat on for this one. Okay. Because you know what the last big event they hosted was? What? The Olympics. Four years earlier. Oh, yeah, where the bombing happened? Yeah, that it, didn't go so well. Yeah, well they, yeah they got the wrong guy. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a bombing. <laughs> yeah, there was a bomb. The fact that it was a bombing, that's a real problem. Yeah, that, the fact that they got the wrong guy wasn't the biggest tragedy. Yeah, good movie, though. And it wasn't we, just the comic at the punchline that week. <laughs> bombing. <laughs> or Kyle or bombing. Me. Right <laughs> <now>. <laughs> and paying homage by bombing yeah, this so podcast. It was meta. It was meta. <laughs> and Mark, you're correct. That was a good movie, Richard Jewell, by the great Clint Eastwood. Yes. So they're excited to host the Super Bowl. It took place at the Georgia Dome, which doesn't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned earlier, the St. Louis Rams defeated the Tennessee Titans 23 to 16. QB Kurt Warner versus Steve McNair. Mm-hmm. And it's regarded as one of the greatest matchups, thanks mostly to its final play known as the longest yard. Oof. The Titans were down one touchdown and managed to reach the St. Louis 10 yard line with six seconds to go. Wide receiver Kevin Dyson ran for the end zone, but linebacker Mike Jones tackled him. One yard short of the goal line. Mike Jones. Mike Jones. So there was no game-tying touchdown, and it was over. Yeah, he reaches so hard for it, but just can't get there. And you know he had nightmares about that moment the rest of his oh, life. Because yeah. he slams the ball down like, hey, I'm in, I'm in. Yeah. That's like uh, well, Scott Norwood in uh, the Bills in like 89 or something. Where oh, he, missed, yeah. he missed that field, easy field goal. Mm. 
Laces out, Dan. Laces out. Right. Sean Young and Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Rams quarterback Kurt Warner was the first undrafted quarterback to win a Super Bowl, and he was named the Super Bowl MVP. Mm-hmm. You know, a spot that next year would be given to somebody else. Ray Lewis? I may talk about later. Okay. So this game has also been called the dot-com Super Bowl for the large amount of advertisements purchased by dot-com companies. That's dot-com. And, and all these companies like went under the next year and yeah. sunk the entire like uh, Dow Jones. <laughs> yeah, the bubble peaked a few months later in March 2000. Yeah. And the halftime show, I'm sure you're wondering about that. Of course. It was produced by E-Trade and <laughs> also Disney. And it was titled Tapestry of Nations, narrated by Edward James Olmos, and featured Phil Collins, Christina Aguilera, Enrique Iglesias, and Tony Braxton. That sounds horrible. They almost had too many people. (laughs) (laughs) And one of the 88.5 million people watching all this unfold on TV was Ray Lewis. Superstar linebacker. Boom, boom, boom. He wasn't playing in that game though, because he was playing for the Ravens at that time. Yeah, who were not uh, in the Super Bowl. No, <laughs> actually, in the NFL, your team has to get to the Super Bowl for you to go. True. Yeah, I've heard that. Yeah. But boy, was he raven mad. Yeah. <laughs> Cows on fire. <laughs> Put him out. And now we're gonna rewind the tape. Ray Lewis was born on May 15th, 1975 in Bartow, Florida, to a 16-year-old mom and a deadbeat dad. Oh, man, that's rough. Incidentally took off on the same day he was born. Papa was a Rolling Stone. (laughs) Got one look at that baby and was like, I'm out. I think it's you. (laughs) This one's scaring me. (laughs) (laughs) Kyle's getting ideas here. (laughs) Papa was a Rolling Stone. (laughs) At age 10, Ray had to man up and help run the house and take care of his four younger siblings. He lived with his grandma for a time and then went back to living with his mom while attending high school in Lakeland, Florida. Lewis found out his dad had been a star wrestler and had set many records. <laughs> what is he like? Like he got a private investigator looking into his dad? To no, look? he was just at school and saw all oh, these so the dad plaques on the, on, in the hallway. That's such a weird way to find that out. Yeah, that's crazy. And so what did he do? He decided that he was going to shatter all of those records himself and basically erase his dad's achievements. Good for him. You've been erased. (laughs) So he was a great wrestler and he did just that. And then he also excelled in football where he became an all-American linebacker. And he wasn't the biggest guy. He's about 6'1". That's pretty big. No, I know, but for a linebacker. Yeah, you want to be like 6'3", 6'4"? Yeah, it's a bit on the smaller end. Yeah. But in the kingdom of the blind, the man with one eye is king, which something doesn't like that. apply to that situation at all. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to name something that didn't apply. Is that on your sheet right <laughs> It's not. I'm going rogue here. But you know, blood's thicker than one. <laughs> <laughs> if it ain't one thing, it's the other. <laughs> I think I'm dehydrated. <laughs> you want some water? <laughs> Lewis went on to receive a scholarship to the University of Miami and played for the Miami Hurricanes. The U. He skipped his final year to enter the NFL draft and was chosen by the newly formed 
Baltimore Ravens in the first round to be an inside linebacker for their inaugural season. Wait, so it's not like a team that got bought by uh, someone and like they changed the name. It's just a brand new, uh, what's it called? Like, what do they call that when, when you get a brand new team? Expansion. Expansion, team? Yeah. yeah. Sort of. Cleveland Browns owner Art Modell was fed up with the city of Cleveland. Not the first time and they said that too, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they kind of relate to this guy. Yeah. And he wanted to move the team to Baltimore because of financial incentives, but there was a public uproar. So the Browns franchise stayed in Ohio, but all the players, coaches, the entire roster moved to Baltimore. They just stripped it for parts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's how that happened. Oh, really? Okay. I, yeah. I remember the people of Cleveland going completely insane because they really had nothing else. Well, it would suck to lose your team. Of course. Everyone wants a team. The right? Patriots almost left left uh, the Boston area. They were going to go to Connecticut. Yeah. I remember around this time, too. Hatford. But that was Kraft doing some power move. Anyway. Cleveland still had uh, Bone Thugs and Harmony, so they were doing it. <laughs> yeah. And Drew Carey. And Drew Carey. <laughs> Ohio! Yeah. <laughs> and the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. In the in the Indians. Yes. Which who's referred Guardians, you bigot. Oh, is that is that what they're called? Oh, right? Mark, don't get with the times. I really timer. thought it was still the Indians. <laughs> oh, play dumb. You I'm just wanted to dumb. say the word Indian. <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> Native. The Cleveland Redskins. Yeah. Oh, hey. Whoa. That was my impression of Mark. Yeah. Oh, that was good. <laughs> By 1999, the Ravens were hitting their stride, and Lewis, at only 24 years old, was already a defensive juggernaut. I'm the juggernaut. He had the most tackles in the league with 165 and was named Linebacker of the Year by the NFL alumni. The team finished the season with a respectable 8-8 eight and eight record, narrowly missing the playoffs. But that didn't stop Lewis from going to the Super Bowl as a spectator. Mm. He had the Super Bowl in his sights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> his plan. He was gunning for it. His scope oh, of vision. <laughs> his plan was to hang out in Atlanta for the big game and then fly out to Hawaii for his third straight Pro Bowl. His plan derailed, however, because of a brutal winter snowstorm that hit the East Coast that week like a ton of bricks. And he was having trouble finding a flight out of Baltimore. Lewis says his mom called him three times to tell him to skip the Atlanta trip. But he felt he needed to go because of commitments he made, including an NFL experience event and multiple autograph signings. Also, he said he could use the money. Mm. Despite his $46 million contract. Yeah. Jesus. At that time, too. <laughs> before he really was a superstar. Yeah. yeah. So it was settled. He was going to Atlanta. Lewis called his driver and friend, Dwayne Fassett, and they hit the road, braving the nasty weather in a black Lincoln Navigator stretch limo, complete with a Baltimore Ravens placard on the dashboard. Yeah, that's what you want to be driving in the snow. <laughs> a giant Navigator stretch limo, just, <laughs> well, just washing around. Yeah, and, yeah. just weaving. Yeah. It's a beast, though. Yeah. It's kind of like a bobsled. Well, you're not going to get hurt, but you're just going to be bouncing around inside of it. <laughs> yeah. They made a detour in North Carolina to pick up his friend, Kwame King. And they were longtime friends. He is a former teammate from high school. 
And then they all made it to Atlanta just in time for Super Bowl week. So they weren't even going for the weekend. They were doing the whole week. Lewis brought along an outfit for every possible occasion. Casual, formal, daytime, nighttime, gym sweats, luxury brands. Quote, I like to look good. As the days passed, he would ship his already worn outfits back home. And this is something he still does to this day. No wonder you could use the money. He's spending like eight grand in gas for this stretch limo and then sending his outfits home as he's wearing them. Why would he do that? <laughs> because I just quoted him. He likes to look good. No, but like just getting rid of the clothes, like you want to come back with like an empty uh, suitcase. That kind of makes sense if you have the money just to get him out of yeah, here. Get the dead weight <laughs> out of here. Whoa. Yeah. For travel lean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of his scheduled events was an appearance at a sports authority store to sign autographs and meet fans. Yeah. So this is going on all week. I guess that's what football players do. Super Bowl week is kind of like a happening. So just because you're not in it, you still want to be around it. It's like a a hangout. Yeah. It's like going to like a convention or like the Emmys if you're like somewhat involved in the entertainment business. Just like, yeah, it's a bunch of people hanging out. On Super Bowl Sunday, January 30th, 2000, Lewis started out at a party at his buddy Marty Carter's house, who was a safety for the Atlanta Falcons. It was a low-key affair with friends and other players from the league. Good vibes, good food, and good music, which at one point inspired Lewis to get on top of a pool table and have a dance-off with some random woman. (laughs) I'd be so pissed if I owned that pool table. <laughs> I'd be like, so pissed if I lost a dance. <laughs> What's worse, woman. dancing on a pool table or losing the dance contest on the pool table? Kyle starts screaming, like, get off my table. He has a brush with him. <laughs> yeah. Is there like a judge who's like, all right, we've seen the dancing. Well, who do you think won here? <laughs> that guy. We that, all lost. That girl. Fuck. Yeah. The entire bar lost. Later, as people were paying more attention to the game, Lewis started to get jealous at the sight of the Tennessee Titans, and especially his nemesis, running back Eddie George. I remember him. When an unnamed actress at the party exclaimed, Eddie is a beast, he nearly lost it. Not only were the Titans his AFC division rivals, but the Ravens trounced them in their last matchup in early December, 41 to 14. Hmm. In his head, he was thinking, it should be me on that field. Should have stopped him. Yeah, we well, should have killed him at the party or something. <laughs> <laughs> After the game, Lewis touched base at his hotel in order to change into his nighttime outfit which was a sleek, tailored cream suit, a long mink coat, a Piaget watch, a bold lock chain, and flashy earrings. Price tag, quarter million dollars. Jesus. I love how he's like bragging about wanting to always look good, but he's like, I got to go back. He's like a baby. He's like, I got to go back and put on my nighty night times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got to go back to the hotel, get some tummy time. and uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah, he has his, all his little rituals like a bait, like a kid. Yeah. yeah. He eats some like graham crackers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sucks his thumb. Yeah. Except his pajamas are a quarter million dollars. Yeah, that's the only difference. He was definitely the only guy in his entourage who dressed that way. <laughs> Throughout the week, he and Kwame brought all sorts of people into their group, and other hangers-on came along for the party, too. So it keeps growing throughout the week. 
there's all this buzz about the game and they just want one big party. Mm. And he's feeling like the big guy, you know? Well, he, like he likes, oh, he seems to want it. What? My quote applies here in the kingdom of the blind. The man with one eye is king. The man with the long mink coat. <laughs> is king among all his. You make it friends. sound like you're you're fixing some puzzle here. <laughs> like what what do you what do you, what epiphany are you having right now? I think it works works less now. All yeah, right, yeah, all right. right. way less. Nobody's now. blind except for me. And it, you, you seem like you're you're an attorney in the South, like fixing a case or something. Yeah. <laughs> Where they start quoting things you don't even know what the hell they're talking about. Like yeah. you sir, a lizard slipping up a pound of pudding. <laughs> As Gizworth once said, <laughs> the poo and the pee are the C and the key. <laughs> what were you going to say, Mark? That was about Before it. Before I... I forget. Okay. So that night, Super Bowl Sunday, after the game, now Ray Lewis is dealing with his emotions because he really wanted to play in that game and he was pissed off, but now he's letting it go. He's ready to party again after the game. This feels like his sweet 16 or something. Like he had it all planned out. It's supposed to be like very perfect and he has all his clothes and everything. You know, his gown is, is all there and like he gets easily pissed off. Like, and yet he'd rather be wearing the helmet. Yeah, and he'd rather be playing. Field. Yeah, and he wants to be out there. And it's like people come up to him like, hey, man, too bad you know, you're know, you not on a winning team. Yeah. yeah. So that's why there is like a, a push to be on a winning team. People sometimes are like, you know, I just want the money. I want a good contract. I don't care if the squad around me is good. But you always have that pressure to get those rings. Yeah. In his nighttime outfit with his entourage, they all went to the Cobalt Lounge, a club in the upscale neighborhood of Buckhead. Kind of a strange name for an upscale neighborhood. Buckhead, yeah. Sounds like a little town in Wisconsin. It sounds like they're going the other way. They're just they're being sarcastic. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody FM presents Hometown Ghost Stories, a paranormal podcast that investigates a new town every week, bringing you all the hauntings, from haunted houses to castles, bridges to asylums, wandering spirits to demons. Over 100 episodes covering different towns all over the world. Tune in to Hometown Ghost Stories live on YouTube every Tuesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern or on any podcast platform and find out if your hometown is haunted. Anybody who was anybody was there that night. This is one of those clubs where they have a special corner where celebrities can be photographed. Yeah. And there's a velvet rope and you have to well, know someone. Now, like, if they open a Quiznos, they do like a Subway sandwich. They have the background where you could the back. Oh, take yeah. Take a picture. Yeah. The step and repeat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> those events where it's like an indie movie no one will ever see. No, yeah. But it has this. It looks like important because it has this background. Everyone's like, oh, what's going on there? Yeah. It's like <laughs> a movie no, you'll, no one will see. Right. Lewis sipped on his Remy Martin cognac, his drink of choice, and chilled out to the music and soaked it all in. Mm. He was young, rich, and already daydreaming, or should I say night dreaming, about what next season would bring him. Around 4 a.m., the party was dying down, and Sunday night was turning into Monday morning. Lewis and his entourage talked about keeping it going back at the hotel. 
they started to head towards their limo outside. The Lincoln Navigator, driven by Dwayne. Two pretty girls caught their attention outside. And just like that, they were invited to join the crew and go to the after party. Unfortunately, this is where things took a terrible turn. According to Lewis, a group of about six to ten guys burst onto the scene, causing a ruckus. One of them ran over to he and his buddy Reginald Oakley and started yelling expletives like, fuck Ray Lewis, and that somebody should murder him. Jeez. Whoa. (laughs) This is according to Lewis, by the way. This is his reasoning for what happened. Yeah. So these rowdy guys were to become known as the Akron Group. Because that's where they were all from. Akron, Ohio? Yes. Not a, not a good place, I heard. It sounds like a group of executives trying to start a hedge fund or something. We were attacked by the Akron group. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah Akron is a city locked in the past, for yeah, well, better or worse. I, you could say that about any town in Ohio. I heard that place is rough. <laughs> Just like, yeah. it's, all the, it's all bad. <laughs> yeah, like Steubenville. Yeah, Steubenville. You don't want to set foot there no. if you don't have to. <laughs> I remember Don Rickles said about um, Dean Martin. He's like, he's from uh, this place, Ohio. And Dean Martin goes, it's Steubenville. And he goes, what? That's better? (laughs) (laughs) So about 40 people had traveled from Ohio to Georgia that Super Bowl weekend in order to promote and support one of their own. An up and coming rapper named Chino Nino. What? Who was looking to generate some heat career-wise. So they're just starting fights to start buzz for this rapper? He's the next big thing at that time, in the eyes of the people from Akron, Ohio. These six people. Who- they're all, seriously, the whole city is behind this guy. They what, think really? he's going to be huge. Akron. Oh, the, oh, Akron. I thought like the city of Atlanta. <laughs> oh, no, no, no Atlanta. <laughs> no, in he's Atlanta. trying to get on in Atlanta. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So these six in guys. In Atlanta, he's an ant. He's yeah. A nobody. <laughs> yeah. You know, at least they're trying to promote their friend. You know, they don't mm-hmm. want to just do their own thing. They're trying to put their buddy out there. Yeah, they had been pushing his new album all over the country for the better part of a year. And no one was biting. And that weekend, <laughs> they had been attending various record stores and pop-ups in Atlanta mm. to get the word out. Two of Chino Nino's close friends, Jacinth Baker. Wait, Jason or Jacinth? Jacinth. Oh my God. I hate when people do this stuff to their name. <laughs> it's like Anthony Hardaway, who was on the uh, the Magic. Yeah. Remember that guy? Oh, and yeah. Fernie with it with an F. Yep. Fernie Hardaway. Not Anthony. It's confusing. <sighs> yeah, I know. You can call him by his nickname if you want, Shorty. Shorty. All right, Shorty. So that's Jason Baker. If it was like a C-H, three O's, (laughs) O-R-T-Y. It's shorty with E-E instead of the Y. And it's pronounced shorte. (laughs) And then Richard Rich Lawler. So they were two of Chino Nino's close friends. And although originally from Akron, were currently living in Atlanta. And they were super hyped up that night. In the version of events as told by Chino Nino, real name Jeff Gwen, it was a belligerent <laughs> Reginald Oakley, the friend of Ray Lewis, yep. who came up to him first and interrupted the conversation he was having with his buddy Chris mm. as they were walking out of the club. Quote, he just wanted to fight. Like he had that look about him. So who do we believe here? 
None of them. So Chino, Nino, and Chris both testified later that Lewis was apologizing to them for Oakley's behavior as he pulled him away in an attempt to get him to go inside the limo. So in their version, Oakley is an out-of-control drunk, and Lewis is embarrassed Hmm. to be with him. He's embarrassed by his behavior. Gotcha. Although it's unclear who instigated the argument, all accounts agree that Jeff Gwen, Chino Nino, and Reginald Oakley did have a heated exchange. Things escalated further when Jay Synth Baker broke a champagne bottle over Oakley's head. Some say he did this as a defensive action because Oakley rushed him like a charging bull. Others say that Oakley had simply stepped into Baker's personal space during the argument and that it was a kind of sucker punch. Mm. Whatever the case, blood was now spilled and the groups began scuffling. Joseph Sweeting, another guy from the Lewis entourage, was then jumped by two guys from the Akron crew. And here's where things get very murky. It was chaos on top of chaos. And this is after 4 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, this is... Oh, yeah. Shouldn't be up. Nothing good happens then. No, nothing good happens after 3 a.m. No. And this is like an hour after that. Yeah. Ray Lewis later testified that he and his two new girl pals jumped into the limo as the violence broke out and then watched the fight unfold from inside the vehicle. Several witnesses say that was untrue. They claim that Lewis was absolutely part of the fight and was punching and kicking the victims himself. Okay. So if he was involved, was he simply trying to protect his buddies or was he out for blood? Or is he just like beating the dudes up? Because these are like big football dudes. I Like Ray Lewis obviously is, but I don't know about his buddy. The, these guys they were beating up were not big guys. Yeah, they're like rap dudes, you know, who are like usually smaller, scrawnier people. Yeah. In his book, I Feel Like Going On, Life, Game, and Glory, Ray Lewis said his only intention was to break up the fight before he left the scene. And he used his clothes as a defense. Quote, Remember, I was dressed out, had my jewelry on, my fine mink coat. I wasn't about to start mixing it up looking like that. Hmm, I don't know. Maybe I do agree with that. You scuffed my coat. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm going to scuff you. (laughs) You got some Miller Lite on my mink. (laughs) Hold my earrings. (laughs) Eventually, Oakley escaped the scuffle and entered the limo. Driver Dwayne Fassett floored it. Fassett floored it. Yeah. Oprah Uma. (laughs) But as they drove off, shots were fired and the limo was struck multiple times, hitting the trunk, side panels and back tire. Holy shit. No bullets hit any human targets. Well, okay, I take it back. Maybe it's good they were in this car then. Yeah, because it's a beast. Yeah. Yeah. It's like an armored military tank. Bulletproof, yeah. When the smoke and crowd cleared, Jacinth Baker and Rich Lawler from the Akron crew were dead, lying in the street. They were aged 21 and 24, respectively. Wow, they were, they were young guys. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They had been stabbed multiple times with a punch blade, which is a short dagger with a T-handle that's designed to be grasped and held in your hand. What about Chino Nino? Did he survive? Yeah. Okay. These are the only two guys that died that night. Yeah. 
The gunshots came from a man named Marlon Burroughs, a friend of the victims who had just arrived on the scene. So did the shots come afterward, after the stabbing? Yeah, because upon, oh, upon seeing their lifeless bodies, yeah, yeah. Burroughs pulled out his gun and fired seven shots at the escaping limo. Fuck. Imagine if you're the driver of this limo. Like, what did I get myself Jeez, into tonight? Yeah. I should have took this gig. (laughs) (laughs) And maybe not so coincidentally, a day earlier, Reginald Oakley and Joseph Sweeting had bought punch blades from the sports authority where Lewis had been signing autographs. Oh, I did not know this. Yeah. Although it was purchased using Lewis's credit card and his signature was on the receipt, Lewis says he was too busy at the event and wasn't even aware of the purchase. Wow. Weirdly enough, his name and phone number were on the receipt. You're thinking, oh, how did that happen? Well, an acquaintance of Lewis's had chased him down in the parking lot after the signing at the sports authority and wanted to exchange contact info. So Lewis starts feeling around and he can't find anything to write his number on. So Sweeting then handed him the receipt. And so he wrote his name and phone number and gave it to that guy. And this would later be turned over to police as evidence. So that guy gave it up. His, yeah. Uh, acquaintance. He's oh, like, yeah. right, right off the bat, like, hey, oh, yeah, you go. Wow. <laughs> I heard you're looking for evidence. So that brings the question, why did they buy the blades? Was it for protection or murder? And if you think about it, those blades, you hold it in your hand and you punch with it. Yeah. So it's almost like a prison way to kill somebody. It's almost like a corkscrew. You get the thing in your hand, just comes out short. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah. like it's a street kind of thing where you want to kill somebody with no one noticing and make it really quick. Yeah. Something you would do if you needed a hit on somebody. And it's like concealed and it's like, you know, people can't see it doesn't seem like it would go in that far that it would actually be able to kill someone. doesn't need to go in that far. If you go right up close, like the stingray on Steve Irwin. Yeah, that's just true. puncture the heart. <laughs> yeah, get it. in between a couple ribs. Yep. Yeah. We're, we're learning how to kill each other here. Yeah. <laughs> a guy named Zig, another member of the Akron crew. Brother of Zag. Nice. <laughs> claims the bad blood started before that night. Whoa. Cuz on There's all the history here? All accounts that I've come across, that was the first time everyone met that night. That's what we assumed. But this guy Zig recalls running into Lewis's entourage the day before at the Lenox Square Mall. And this is a very upscale mall, not far from the club. And he says that both groups locked eyes and stared each other down. I'm kind of team Nino Nino Gino now because I think <laughs> I think they were they were the they were obviously the victims. Chino Nino. Chino Nino, yeah. Zig says Jeff Gwen. Or aka Jeff Gwen. <laughs> Jeffrey Gwen. <laughs> yeah. It's not as tough. It's not as tough at all. <laughs> Give it up for Jeff Gwen. <laughs> <laughs> <Boo>. <laughs> Zig says that Ray Lewis and his boys were mad-dogging them Mm. and attempting to intimidate. And his theory is that it's because the Akron group made more money than Lewis's friends. So everyone that was around Chino Nino was dressed like Ray Lewis. 
Oh, more so in that realm. More of a socialist kind of thing. They spread the wealth around. Yeah. Where Ray Lewis was, you know, he's more a of dictator. a dictator. Yeah. <laughs> he's <laughs> with all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He doesn't spread it around to his uh, his workers there. Yeah. And so he really was the only one dressed like that in his crew. So the theory is that Kwame and Reginald, they see all these other flashy guys and they're like, fuck them. Yeah. They think they're better than us. <laughs> well, clearly, uh, yes, yeah. <laughs> this could have made them insecure. And then that brings up the question, did Lewis and crew recognize these guys at the Cobalt Lounge then? Oh, like yeah, those those are the guys mad-dogging us. Or those are the guys we were mad-dogging. Yeah, yeah. It seems very likely that Oakley and Sweeting did the killing based on the fact that they were in the scuffle and bought the blades. But Chino Nino says otherwise. Really? He's positive that neither of them were wielding the knife. What? So who did it then? Possibly Kwame King, the friend who rode up with Ray Lewis in the Lincoln Navigator. Really? He and at least three other men, known as Carlos, Gino, and Claudius, were also involved in the fight. So quite frankly, it could have been any of those guys. Man. Mm. But there are theories that say it was Kwame King. Is there like one person that got like a Supruder like uh, viewpoint into this? It, it seems like it was a dark club, a lot of fog of war, a lot of people fighting and scuffling. So it's hard to tell. There's always one person that's like stabbing someone when all this shit is going down. Unfortunately, not. Nowadays, there would be video of it. Yeah, yeah. this is all in the parking lot, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so I'm thinking it's in this big club. It's in the no, parking lot. No, it's in the lot. parking lot as they were all leaving. The club was like, everyone get the fuck out of here. Because remember, they're all leaving and they're literally walking towards the limo, and yeah. this all happens very fast. Yeah, within like minutes. Yeah. So now back to that night. After the shots were fired outside the Cobalt Lounge, Dwayne, the driver, managed to roll the vehicle about a mile away and came to a halt in the driveway of a Holiday Inn. As soon as the limo stopped, mostly everybody in the group took off in different directions, including Oakley, who was still heavily bleeding from the bottle that was broken on his head. <laughs> oh, my God. All of them would eventually lawyer up and not cooperate with police. The only ones who stayed put were Lewis, Kwame, and Dwayne, the driver. Yeah. No cops were called because of paranoia and also not knowing the full extent yet of what had all gone down at the club. At this point, Ray Lewis doesn't know anybody's dead. Oh, okay. All he knows is that it was getting bad and yeah. they were shot at. So they they got out of there. They're like, all right, well, you know, everyone's intact here. Yeah, like, woo, okay, people got you know some blood and broken bottles overheads, but they're out there alive. Yep, and they're out of there. Relief. Yeah, they waited for a tow truck, and then Lewis finally made it back to his hotel. Not being able to sleep, he turned on the news and saw that cops were looking for him and the Black Lincoln Navigator. Man. So then he immediately called Dwayne Fassett, the driver, who was already in the presence of cops. <laughs> so Lewis, still not knowing what happened, met with officers as fast as he could at his girlfriend Tatiana's house. So he gets on the phone with him and he's like, okay, come to this house. Yeah. Tatiana was a girl he was kind of seeing. And that's where I forgot to mention his kids were staying. So he has oh, kids really? what? at this point. That's crazy. He's not married and they're staying at this girl Tatiana's house. So now they're involved. Wow. They're seeing him arrive in a panic and then the cops show up. Yeah. 
There was an informal interrogation about the events earlier that morning. The cops asked Ray Lewis the names of the people who were riding along with him in the limo. He told them he didn't know all their names. And he really wasn't that cooperative because they weren't treating him very well. Mm -hmm. Needless to say, Lewis never made it to Hawaii. He had tried to go to the airport even and still make the trip to the Pro Bowl. Wow. But then he was driving with, or Tatiana was driving him, and they noticed the cops were following him, but not with the lights on. Oh, They man. were just being tailed. Yeah. He missed the flight. Because you assume they were going to stop him? They just weren't sure what was going on. But you can't, weird. you can't really stop them. Like no. if if it's just an investigation into a murder or something, you know, you can't really stop people unless you have a warrant. Yeah. Am I free to go? Am I free to go? That's all those people on TikTok now. These, yeah, exactly. The, the people that audit, <laughs> am I being detained? First Amendment auditors or something, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Ray Lewis was arrested and charged with the double murder of Baker and Lawler, along with Oakley and Sweeting. Yeah. Oh. So they, they probably figured with the judge they needed a warrant right, right away, so they keep all these people here. Yeah. Since the cops believed that it was Baker and Lawler who were the stabbers, for lack of a better word, their arrest makes perfect sense. But why was Lewis the only one arrested as a party to the crime when there were so many others involved in the fight, too? As I mentioned, Kwame and yeah, Claudia. I know why. Why? Because he had something to lose. And exactly. He, 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 and, he, and he would rat on his friends. They were licking their lips like, oh, this is a huge case. Yeah. So they wanted to and he the whole get high, high profile guy too. Yeah. So he's going to be like, in order to save his NFL career, he's going to give up whoever. He's going to snitch. And then the history between these guys, Ray Lewis had met Joseph Sweeting in Miami while he was in college. At the U? Yeah. The U? Sweeting's rap sheet. <laughs> Cal will just pop in and say the U every once in a while. <laughs> Sweeting's rap sheet goes back to 1984 including jail time for grand theft. And he was part of a gang called the Untouchables. All those guys love the Untouchables. Yeah. But he was in the Al Capone gang? No, like... Um, <laughs> Hacks. Yeah. He was in the 1920s. Knight was obsessed with the Untouchables as well. Oh, was he? They all yeah. think they're so cool. We're untouchable. Yeah, they love all those movies like uh, Scarface and all that shit. Lewis met Reginald Oakley around 1998 in Baltimore, and they were newer friends. Oakley's record includes convictions for embezzlement and assaulting a cop. Well, that's nice. As my mom would say, that's charming. <laughs> Lewis was not particularly close with him, but now their lives were intertwined in a profound way. Yeah. Well, they're all co-defendants now. According to his book, the cops treated Ray Lewis like a dog at the police station. They gave him a water bowl. <laughs> Basically, when he asked for something to drink in the interrogation room. They hit him in the nose with a newspaper. <laughs> they brought in a bottle of Sprite, then tipped it over and made Lewis slurp it up as it poured off the table's edge. Wow. wow. So I wasn't a, wrong. In Atlanta? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a pretty diverse city. I'm surprised like there was like police brutality going on like this. I know. And racism this on this is, level. Uh, but it, it is the police, after all. It's Fulton County, where it's located, and like you said, this is a very big, high-profile case. Yeah. So they really want to do this right. Imagine if they did that to Trump and they arrested him there. They arrested him at that same courthouse, I think. Oh, my God. <laughs> did he ask for a sprite? They made me like, like a dog. <laughs> I was like a dog there. <laughs> they threw my McDonald's at me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
They made me uh, lick my Diet Coke off the floor. (laughs) (laughs) But unfortunately for the prosecutors, the case was doomed from the beginning. Mm. An overzealous district attorney named Paul Howard, he was actually the first black man elected to that position. Really? A few years earlier. Mm -hmm. And he had Ray Lewis in his sights. And he took on this case himself. Really? So he was the face of it. And by the way, he's uncle to athlete Dwight Howard. Mm. Oh, okay. One of the the Michigan, uh, the Sweet Five, what's his name? No, wait. uh, No. He's not a part of them. Oh, maybe I'm thinking of du- a different Howard. Uh, du- Jawan Howard. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking yeah. of. Never mind. Dwight Howard. Uh... Do you want to get back to the story? <laughs> yeah. Had some stuff going on. Okay. Yeah. D- different different story. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean stuff going on, though? Uh, He had, he was getting blackmailed by a guy that he had sex with. What? Yeah. What? There have been rumors that Dwight Howard has been gay, and uh, he always denied it, and then It kind of got confirmed last year, and he pretty much went out on Twitter and said, who gives a shit about who I fuck? Oh, okay. Well, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I thought you were going to say something criminal that he was doing. Oh, no, no. Uh, I mean, in the eyes of God, someone would say. Oh, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Mark would say. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, you put that on me? (laughs) After you drop something ridiculous, (laughs) you just push it right over to me. Okay. Well, his uncle, Paul Howard, had some scandals later on, but nothing quite like that. Okay. So Paul Howard initially accused Ray Lewis of doing the stabbing, but then backed off and said that whether or not he had the knife in his hand was irrelevant. Mm. He believed at the very least Lewis played a role in their deaths, and that was enough for a murder conviction. Mm. And so they call this felony murder, which is when someone dies in the process because of something you did. Yeah, it seems like a, a little bit of a reach, but I think they're doing a reach on purpose so they can get him to rat on his friends. Right. We'll see if he does. Lewis's lawyer, Ed Garland, responded by saying that the accusation and rush to judgment was similar to that of Richard Jewell four years earlier. Ooh, evoking the uh, you know emotion from a local story. Mm-hmm. I like that. They dropped it. And furthermore, if Lewis did have any involvement in the fatal scuffle, it was only to break it up. His lawyer wasn't the only force protecting him. Ken Allen, the lead detective on the case and first to arrive on the murder scene, alleges that somebody in his department was leaking info and working with the Baltimore Ravens organization. Whoa, that's so Raven. Really? (laughs) To prove this, Allen says he sent an internal report out using a fake witness and a real location. Allen's team waited nearby, and sure enough, men he identified as NFL securities showed up. Ray Lewis had the league on his side. Wow. The trial began on May 27th, 2000. The prosecution had an uphill battle from the start. It had been the idea of Homicide Lieutenant Mike Smith to arrest Lewis so quickly before gathering more evidence. I'm sure it's something that's worked in the past. So why not? Not this time. No? Then Smith made a major misstep when questioning a witness and friend of Ray Lewis on the record. 
when asking if Oakley or Sweeting had a nickname, he said something along the lines of, come on, you people always have nicknames. Oh, you people. The witness, who happened to be black, stormed off, and the incident was officially put into the record. See, that's good for the defense. They like stuff like that. It's great for the defense. And this has echoes of Mark Furman in the O.J. Simpson trial. Yeah. yeah. Which it wasn't supposed to be just about race. He went full N-word, though. That's him. true. This was more... You people is still yeah, the, treading that line. <laughs> the implications there. Yeah. The predominantly black jury did not appreciate Smith's behavior. I bet. Other problems arose during the trial. One witness wasn't sure the defendants were even at the scene... And two other witnesses supported the idea that somebody else, besides the defendants, had the knife. Mm. So they planted a reasonable doubt that this was actually the people that were there. But they did have a saving grace waiting in their pocket. What do you call that? A Ace in the hole? Yes. That would be star witness for the prosecution, driver Dwayne Fassett. Dwayne is the guy that would like... We were like, why would he ever take this job? Like, he must have been regretting it. But he stuck around there. Well, he, he was paid very well by Ray Lewis and was friends with him. Oh, okay. Ray Lewis treated him so very this is well. Not, this is not just a service. Like, this guy just oh. took the gig. Like, this is his butt. Yeah. Oh, okay. He was driving through a blizzard down 95 from Maryland all the way down to Atlanta, That's being like, this insane. can't get any worse. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I can't wait till we get to Atlanta. It's going to be great there. Yeah. Super Bowl weekend, yeah. party. Where it's warm. Yeah. <laughs> So Dwayne Fassett is the only one who had a front row seat to the scuffle. He originally told cops he saw the entire fight take place, that he saw Lewis throw a punch, and that Lewis had restrained Rich Lawler exposing his chest, which is very dangerous in that kind of fight because he could have easily been hit or stabbed there. Mm. And then Fassett heard Ray Lewis talk about the stabbings with Oakley once inside the limo. Quote, I'm not going to let you motherfuckers ruin my career. Holy shit. Why is he so loose-lipped? I don't know. This is his buddy. Because he's among friends. This is his meal ticket. Yeah. Oh, you mean the driver? Yeah. Because he wants to do the right thing. But he's saying he's holding Lawler back, exposing his chest. All right, well, keep listening. All right. Fassett also identified Sweeting and Oakley as the killers. Whoa! By the time of the trial, however, Fassett recanted his story and said he was pressured by cops to say those things. Oh, man. Yeah. His original statement was never brought to light. So his the pressure he got put on him worked. But he actually, it didn't work in the end because it went to trial. Yeah, and it was as if it didn't even exist, that original statement during the trial. So the inconsistencies in his stories were not pointed out. So the jury had no idea. No. But did he cut a deal originally and then, because it sounds like maybe he had warrants on him or or he had something. Yeah, he might have cut something. They had something on him and and then he's like, I don't care, I don't want to do the deal. But once they put him on the stand, it all crumbled. Yeah. And so one of the other prosecutors was like, okay, let's just get him back on the stand and let's find his original statement and we'll do this again. And then I'll ask him, like, isn't it true that you said this originally to officers and he'll either have to lie or tell the truth Yeah, and just pressure him? But then that's when someone told him it's over. 
facets on a plane out of the country. And he has a doctor's note saying that he's too psychologically ill to return to the trial. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. He's too traumatized. So that was it. He wasn't going to be coming back. Smart. Or whoever's, whoever set that up is smart. Yeah. <laughs> And then most testimonies against Lewis were from unreliable witnesses, including Jeff Gwen, a.k.a. Chino Nino. People from the Akron crew were shocked when he took the stand. It went against the code of the streets. When Chino Nino did? Yeah. Yeah, it doesn't sound like you would do that if you're Chino Nino. You kind of lose some, some street cred. But they were attacking his credibility because his story changed too. Yeah. Gwen was one of the only witnesses who identified Lewis as one of the brawlers that night. In his original statement to investigators, he said that Lewis punched Lawler. However, he later changed his story, saying he had been mistaken and that he had only seen Lewis tussling with Lawler, not punching him. So in court, his testimony was met with skepticism. Hmm. Sounds like money could have been uh, exchanging hands. Oh, yeah. I'm sure, uh, you know, Lewis's people were heavily involved in this and like making sure (laughs) people did not talk. The league could have even been doing this. A raven flying overhead drops a bag of money. Paul Tagliabue, yeah. Yeah. Is he the owner? He was like the... the uh, fixer? The Roger Goodell at that time, the commissioner. Oh, yeah, the commissioner. Yeah. Okay. I believe it might have been someone yeah. else, but I think it was. So, the, so yeah, they bring in fixers, and they're like, yeah, we, we know how to, to smooth this out here. A raven shows up on the windowsill. Yeah. Edgar pushing a golden egg over <laughs> yeah. with its beak. <laughs> <laughs> what do you say, uh, Judge? They say that the Baltimore Ravens was named after the raven from Edgar Allan Ed- Poe. Yeah. It is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Imagine Edgar Allan Poe hanging out with this team. <laughs> if he was there during the yeah, scuffle. He, was there during the, he probably would he probably would have stabbed someone yeah. too. He was crazy. The Chino Nino quoth no more. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff Gwen was never the same after that night. He didn't really explode onto the hip hop scene. Yeah, I Googled him. He's on LinkedIn. Well, <laughs> you got to start somewhere. Yeah. His Instagram only has like 6,000 followers. Saw, yeah, like 5,700. Yeah, it's oh, very man. sad. And his music is just linked on there oh, on yeah. iTunes. And yeah. it's just like, it's like, uh, please. <laughs> Anybody. Yeah. Not to like judge. This. No, yeah, it's tough out there. We got 12,000 more uh, followers on YouTube. (laughs) (laughs) So Chino Nino spoke for the first time in 20 years on a new podcast called The Raven. In this clip, host Tim Livingston asked him point blank about Ray Lewis's role in the fight that night. I mean, I know it's a blur. I know it's 20 years later, but did you see him tussling? Did you see him? I don't know what he was doing. It was other shit going on. I, I couldn't, I, I can't, I can't just sit up here and say that that man was swinging a knife. I can't say he had a knife. He didn't want none of that shit to happen, but he know exactly what happened. From when it happened to everything they did after that. He know every motherfucking thing that happened. If you don't like, know, how does he know? Yeah, that's not very like, clear. Trying to hide this, cover up shit, burn this, get rid of this, tell this story, this and that, like, you hiding something. So what do you think they're hiding? I mean, you were, they know what they know what happened. They know exactly what happened. They had weapons. We didn't. Honestly, we all probably 
would have been dead out there. It's just by the grace of God that we're alive. This was recorded in a wind tunnel, by the way. Yeah, not the great, best. Uh, in Akron. A, a recording artist. He doesn't know how to record his voice very well. Yeah, I don't know what he thinks that Ray Lewis knows. Perhaps he knows more than he's saying. It's probably very likely he knows more than what he's saying. But it seems like Chino Nino has a guess. So why not just tell us what he thinks Ray Lewis knows? Yeah, yeah but now he's on back on like the stop snitching thing where he's not going to be telling. He's like, I'm not here to tell you what happened. I'm like, well, that would be better if you did. Yeah, that's why they're interviewing him. Yeah, right. why else are you here? It's the only thing of note. Yeah, we're going to talk about the music next. Yeah, we're going to talk about your 5,700 Instagram followers. Speaking for the first time in 20 years and saying nothing. 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 Yeah, you're going to love it. <laughs> so because things were not looking good for the prosecution, to put it lightly, in order to better the odds at securing convictions, DA Paul Howard offered Lewis a plea deal in exchange for his testimony against Sweeting and Oakley. Ooh. So Ray Lewis agreed to plead guilty to obstruction of justice rather than put his fate in the hands of the jury. Yeah. So he could have just rolled the trial out. He thinks he's innocent and let the jury decide. But even in the best of circumstances, I heard there's only a 90 percent chance that the jury will find you well, not they, guilty. They There's still a 10% chance that even in the best case, they could still find you guilty for some reason. Well, mm. they could also find, like, be uncertain about that charge, you know, right. uh, of conspiracy. So he could get off on that, too, on a mistrial. So mm -hmm. I don't know. It was kind of a dice roll, and I'm sure he's going by all of the people working with him, yeah. all of his lawyers and stuff. Garland, his lawyer. They know that the, the, the more safer choice is to plead not guelty and mm -hmm. kind of play ball there. So the felony the felony murder charge was dropped. In a videotape statement, he stuck to his story and it didn't stray far from what the defense was saying anyway. The gist is that Oakley was being very aggressive and hostile towards the Akron group, but that it was in self-defense. So his testimony was not very damaging to the other defendants in the end. Mm -hmm. And then let's listen to a clip. This is from an interview with Dan Patrick, and he explains the pleading guilty to obstruction of justice. The police came to me that night and asked me, do you know everybody's names that was in the limo? I said, no, I don't know everybody's names in the limo. And this is your limo? Yeah. He gets mad and says, yes, you do. Oh, you know, that's the problem with, you know, people like you. You know, y'all just ride around with anybody. Do you know everybody in the limo? I said, no. I do not know everybody's names in the limo. That's what I was found guilty of. That's the obstruction of justice? That's the obstruction of justice. That I told him I didn't know everybody's last names, first and last names in the limo. No factual evidence ever of me ever being in an altercation. Ever. Uh, I mean, you were in the altercation for sure. <laughs> you were in the, you were tussling. He's People, still yeah. pissed about it. <laughs> Well, when he actually got off with a very good deal. Well, that's what everyone remembers when they think of Ray Lewis. Yeah. He can't shake it. He can't. No way. People say, you know, even what, like, especially when people are rooting against him, like, yeah, but that guy killed someone. <laughs> you know, like, that's, yeah. everyone says that, but obviously there's no proof, but, you know, people still think he did it. And it's funny because he always chooses the most softball interviews. Yeah. Dan Patrick goes on to say, from everyone I've talked to in the league, they all say, you weren't a fighter. 
you weren't that guy to join fights or start fights. Yeah. Basically giving writing his whole defense for him. And you heard years right. later. Yeah, yeah. You're right, man. Yeah, you said it. Thank you. All right, so D.A. Paul Howard was rusty as a trial lawyer. He had not actually tried a case in four years, and it was uncharacteristic for a district attorney such as him to try the case themselves rather than have assistants do it. Uh And his mistakes all added up. He wanted the clout. Yeah. The jury deliberated for about three hours and found both Sweeting and Oakley not guilty. They cited a lack of evidence in their decision to acquit the I mean, men. those guys got, you know, they got away with murder. Mm, we don't know for sure. Yeah, I guess th- there's people that know out there that, you know, yeah. aren't talking. And now we have a snippet from an interview with Reginald Oakley from CNN. Oh. This is the first time Reginald Oakley has talked on camera about that night. Oakley has written a book, which we find he's eager to sell. I had no idea that nobody had gotten stabbed and nothing like that. So you didn't stab him? No, I didn't stab him. So how did the guy end up with stab wounds if you're the one fighting him? Hey, you have to read the book to find out. Oh my Ah! God. Was Ray involved in the fighting? In my opinion, yes. I don't know if he was wrestling and fighting, but I know he was right in the mix there with everybody else. Wow. In the end, Ray Lewis spent two weeks in jail before taking the plea deal. He was fined 250 grand by the NFL and settled civil lawsuits brought on by the victims' families for about a million dollars to each estate. Hmm. He says the settlement was not an admission of guilt, but rather an expression of love and sympathy. Quote, I could not bring those two young men back. I had no hand in their deaths. I could not ease the suffering of those families. But I had so many blessings in my life. I told myself I could use some of those blessings for those good people. He had no hand in their deaths, but did he have a knife in their deaths? Mm. That's the $250,000 question. After the trial, Ray Lewis was determined to bounce back, both mentally and physically. Close friend Shannon Sharp, formerly a... Ah. Formerly, Come on, cat. <laughs> formerly a tight end for the Denver Broncos and now signed to the Baltimore Ravens, invited Lewis to stay at his place and they spent the offseason training together. Baltimore Ravens coach Brian Billick supported Ray Lewis, too. So not only did Lewis's NFL career not suffer, but it blasted off faster than a raven spotting a worm at lunchtime. Nice. (laughs) The following season, Lewis led the NFL with 137 tackles and was named Defensive Player of the Year. Wow. With the help of his standout performance on the field, the Baltimore Ravens ended the season with a record of 12-4 and and a ticket to Super Bowl XXXV, where they would be playing. They ended up defeating the New York Giants 34-7. Because of the defensive shutout, Lewis was named Super Bowl MVP. Wow. And let's hear his on-field interview after reaching that achievement. Ray, for you, since Super Bowl night a year ago, your life has come full circle. What are your emotions standing here right now? You know, the thing is, you know, the man upstairs tells you, I never, am, I never would take you through hell. Would I bring you to trial? And that's why I'm sitting up in now. Is he talking about the NFL commissioner or God? 
Let's get this straight. God caused the scuffle at the Cobalt Lounge. That killed two people. So that he could have the Super Bowl glory. That's when God was carrying him. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I only saw my footprints. Why is there only a blood trail on the sand? (laughs) Ray Lewis played for the Ravens for the rest of his NFL career and became the team's leader with inspirational speeches. And he endeared himself to fans with his squirrel dance. Oh, yeah. It was kind of weird. Usually the quarterback is the leader, but Ray Lewis was the leader. Yeah, it's as whoever, a defensive who has linebacker. The, the years on him and, you know, who's got the experience. And who's everything. got more bodies. More bodies on yeah, him. The, the bigger body count. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Lewis retired in 2013 on a high note after one more Super Bowl win. With all the publicity surrounding his final game, media outlets and people on social media started digging up the old Atlanta incident again. Lewis addressed the controversy in an interview with Buddy Shannon Sharp. Come on, man. Those Shannon Sharp interviews, they're hot right now. They're very hot. I didn't know about, uh, what's he called his show? Club Shay Shay. Club Shay Shay, that's right, yeah. To the family, if you knew, if you really knew the way God works, he don't use people who commits anything like that for his glory. No way. It's the total opposite. Cut to O.J. Simpson. (laughs) (laughs) Just when people start using God and like stuff like that, like, you know, in their explanation of what happened in their life, I never trust it. I can't stand that. I didn't know much about the case in 2013. That was the Super Bowl with the blackout and Colin Kaepernick was in it. Well, this did get some publicity. And when I heard him say that in the Shannon Sharp interview, it pissed me off. Yeah. Okay, so that's how we know you're innocent. It's because God wouldn't give you all this glory not if you because, had done anything Not bad. because I'm a good person outside of my faith. You know, yeah. just to be a good person, I wouldn't uh, be involved in the death of two people. Terrible. <laughs> Ray Lewis was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 2018. Ironically, it's located in Canton, Ohio, not far from where the victims are buried. Their families didn't go crazy or anything or get like mad. Or oh, like, they're mad. Yeah. I'll get to that in a little bit. While most Ravens fans and NFL colleagues believe Lewis did nothing wrong, there are many others who think he got off too easy and that he may have even gotten away with murder. The families of the victims find it difficult to see Ray Lewis on TV. Rich Lawler's Aunt Cindy goes as far as to say she believes Ray Lewis is the one who stabbed her nephew. She adds that Akron was never the same after their deaths. Others want to know what happened to the white suit and mink coat he was wearing that night. It never turned up as evidence. That was another glaring error by the prosecution. Jacinth Baker's Uncle Greg wants to know what happened to it. Quote, why would that or anything else they had on them end up missing that night unless it was something that linked them to the murder? There's a rumor that the bloodstained suit was discarded in the dumpster of a fast food joint close to the hotel where Lewis was staying. Yeah, but that would be the easiest thing to find in a landfill. Would it? (laughs) A mink coat covered in blood? but if it's deep in in there. They find iPhones in landfills. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It's tough. Like, there's so much shit in there. (laughs) If it got soiled by something else, you couldn't even notice, like, the light uh, minkness of it. Yeah. Lewis's attorney, Garland, he says that the coat was sent to the dry cleaners, and they don't know where it is today. 
Smart. So was Lewis guilty of playing a role in the murders or was he merely at the wrong place at the wrong time? Whatever the case, he can't shake off that suspicion that some people have. That stink that he's a killer. In an NPR interview to promote his book in 2015, he was asked about his two public images. The God-loving, proud father, who Michael Phelps said was the most inspirational person he's ever met. Yes, smoke, take another hit from the bond. Yeah, for real. (laughs) To a man who may have committed murder. Here's the clip. And in this one, I find it very interesting. You can hear the seething anger in Ray Lewis. Yeah. And then there's the Ray Lewis who still people today, you know, will freely suggest is a murderer from what happened (laughs) in Atlanta. Is it hard to live with those two personas out there? No, no, absolutely not. That's why I wrote the book. Because... Who Michael Phelps knows, that's who Ray Lewis is. Everything else that you just said, the only thing I heard, honestly, that you said, the whole thing was murder. You heard that one word because it bothers you. Yeah, well, it it bothers me because of people. Listen to the nonsense he says now. They basically say the hell with the families. You know, but it it shows you the, the insensitive side of people who... You know, and you can't please everybody, man. I don't I don't ever try to please everybody in life. But I tell you this, there's enough people in this world that if you're living right and you're doing I don't try to live perfect. I try to live right. And if you're living right, I guarantee you God will win every one of those battles for you. Yeah. Doesn't mean God doesn't do stuff. I'm talking like as if it's a real thing. (laughs) (laughs) He comes from the school of of Jada Pinkett Smith. Yeah. Where you say a bunch of words and hopefully it sounds like Like, you're saying something. Ray, would God do this? Nope. Would he do that? Yeah. Like he just, he's the guy to go ask. (laughs) Well, that's what Michael Phelps thinks. He's a go to guy. Yeah, that is that Michael Phelps interviewing him, or I thought that no, that was that was some an, NPR person. The way he said, I, I wish we could see his face when that guy said murder. Yeah, the interviewer. He probably gave him a look like he wanted to murder. That's kind him. of a trigger word. <laughs> <for him. laughs> yeah, knife comes halfway out. <laughs> <laughs> He's a down boy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God told me to stab you right now. <laughs> After retiring, Ray Lewis has had a very lucrative career in entertainment. He's worked as an analyst for Fox, CBS, and ESPN. He's appeared in the movie Draft Day with Kevin Costner. Oh. He also was on Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, that's right. And they, there's they've a, had their share. Of, they, Sean Spicer was on there, too. <laughs> there's a blind item that says that Brooke Burke hated him, and they bowed out of the competition early. Otherwise, he was going to be fired. Because wow. oh, she was going to quit. Yeah, because they didn't get along at all. Oh. This is a, allegedly, supposedly. I heard uh, God told her to get out. <laughs> <laughs> he also starred in commercials for Old Spice, Under Armour, and Madden. Yeah, I've seen his Old Spice. I, I like those commercials. So what do we think of Ray Lewis? He's a devout Christian. but has So he ne- says. Has never been married. He has six kids with four different women. Sadly, in June 2023, Ray Lewis III tragically passed away at the age of 28 from a lethal mix of cocaine, methamphetamine, and fentanyl. Hmm. It seems like there's an on-screen version of Ray Lewis, and then there's the real behind-the-scenes Ray Lewis, which we saw that night. That came out a little bit. And it was still, it was like in his friends, too. Like, they were all, you know, they were getting, it, it was like the different side you don't see. 
And never trust somebody who talks about themselves in the third person. Yeah. yeah. In that NPR interview, he says, the Ray Lewis that Michael Phelps knows, that's the real Ray Lewis. I know. It Maybe there are, in, that's not the real Ray Lewis, by the way. No. I, I think there's a couple versions of this guy. And yeah, they're- The Cobalt Lounge. Yeah, that's the, the real, real that Ray Lewis. the real one. And speaking yeah. of, that club has been torn down and built over. It is now the site of a brick condo building. Things are either CVS, Carl's Jr., or a condo. The sports authority where the knives were bought is now a Sam's Club. Hey. The Georgia Dome, <laughs> where, su- hey. where, super- <laughs> where the Super Bowl with the longest yard took place, was demolished in 2017. So it's all come down. And then the Super Bowl finally returned to Atlanta in 2019 at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Mm. And that's all, folks. Final thoughts. Uh, I'm kind of upset that you didn't mention who won that Super Bowl in Atlanta. Who cares? The New England Patriots. Yes. Won their final Super Bowl against the Rams, where this story all started. Where Tom Brady took over for Drew Bledsoe, and because that was um, Belichick's choice. Well, this was Tom Brady's last Super Bowl. As a Patriot. This was 2019. Oh, okay. Got it. But it wasn't his last Super Bowl. No. He won as a Buccaneer. Yeah, I supported that, too. (laughs) Not Kyle, though. (laughs) Well, all right. I'd rather support Ray Lewis than that. Oh, my God. (laughs) The the bad version of Ray Lewis. (laughs) Anything else you want to add? Any other questions? No, I think we pretty much covered it. It was well covered. Yeah, Yeah. well documented. I think it was a, a sweeping indictment of Ray Lewis. And the NFL. And the NFL. And whoever were the people behind the scenes that were actually, you know, getting this case squashed. All right. So I'm going to put it to you. And not getting justice. Yeah. I'm going to put it to you like this now. Mark, what's your verdict? My verdict is Ray Lewis is guilty of assault, um, not murder. Okay. Kyle. I would say the same thing. The other guys, you know, were looking for a fight. They got one and shit got out of hand. Yeah, and I think those guys didn't realize that they're going up against NFL guys, and especially someone like Ray Lewis, who's a very intense NFL player. Yeah. and They say he's the greatest defensive linebacker of all time. Yeah, and a big, strong guy. He won that Super Bowl for them. Yeah. Yeah, and I think these rappers, they assume... Like the the kids maybe from their high school that were good at sports were like kind of nerds, and then they think Ray Lewis is going to be kind of a nerd, and like Ray Lewis is like ready to throw down. I think. I think they knew he was tough, and that's why they wanted to fight him. Really? Yeah, so they could be the tougher guys. I don't know, but there are differing accounts of who started the fight. Yeah, and remember, according to Zig. They were being mad dogged at that mall the day before it, yeah. by Ray Lewis and his entourage. It doesn't matter who started it. They both wanted it. Okay. So they were going to fight no matter what. Yeah. And if you're at a club at four in the morning, I'm not saying it's your fault or you're not, you know, you expect some craziness to happen. I say it's your fault. Really? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. If you're at a club and you're staring people down or being like, oh, those are the guys that stared us down, so now we got to fuck with them. It's like- And you're drunk. Yeah, it's stupid. Just yeah. go have fun, watch you're the game, asking, make some money. Asking for trouble at some point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be that guy. Like People are so worried about respect. Yeah. Who gives a fuck? Just go have fun. Those hey, are my final thoughts. That's fine. <laughs> Kyle is serious. Yeah. All right. God would like you to have fun. I know too many people, and I got into it back home in Boston. Oh, in yeah. The fights and stuff, and it was just stupid. It's never any good. Yeah. No. It's always entertaining to watch, but I don't want to be involved yeah. in them. 
I think that was me and Mark's first interaction. He saw me knock some guy out in front of uh, the cask and flagon. Or not the cask. The, uh, it was out near, out near the so, Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the Black right. Rose, maybe. Yeah. Uh, in that area of Faneuil Hall. And, uh, Sissy K's. Yeah. It was just miraculous <laughs> that uh, Kyle knocked this guy out, I think. <laughs> Everyone goes, whoa! <laughs> and then Kyle just starts running towards ran Atlantic away. Avenue. <laughs> he ran away. <laughs> he ran straight toward the like a, like a main street. Well, the guy was a dick. He sucker punched my friend. Oh, really? So, yeah. So you get just caught up with that guy and just knocked him yeah. out? Yeah. Okay, so now Kyle's looking for clout. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not impressed. No, but I, you know, sometimes you hang out with those kind of people, and uh, that's you what happened. Not have punched him back. What if he had a knife, Kyle? Oh, he didn't have a chance to pull it. Yeah, he, he, did, he didn't punch. He, he didn't out. have a breath after that. He was he was <laughs> on right. the fucking concrete. Fine, <laughs> but I still say if you can avoid it, just get the hell out of there before yeah. this yeah. stuff happens. It's unnecessary, exactly. especially anything after the the wee hours of the night. It's bad they unless say, it's late, actually self defense. They say late at night when you're out and you're drinking with your boys. You're either going to get in trouble because you're, you're trying to fight or fuck. And if you don't get one, you're doing the other. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes both. Yeah. <laughs> Fighting and fucking. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, everybody take a chill pill, I guess. Yeah. Including myself. <laughs> and yeah. with the upcoming Super Bowl, just enjoy it. Yeah. Eat some cocktail weenies and. Eat some cock if you want. <laughs> do whatever you want. Don't do, it, don't do any fentanyl or anything. <laughs> yeah. No. And yes, we are talking to you, Dwight Howard. Yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> it's okay. Do what you want. Okay, well, follow us on all the social media. You can go to deathandentertainment.com yes. to find all the links, and you can check us out on Patreon. You can. Patreon.com slash deathandentertainment. Tons of new stuff up there right now. You can also check us out on YouTube. Subscribe and catch us every Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 a 10 p.m. Eastern. That's how it works. Uh, Death and Entertainment Tonight Live. I you got it. got it. Yeah. You're doing great, Kyle. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. First we'll, time. We'll work on that name. No, we won't. <laughs> <laughs> Death and Entertainment Tonight Live. There we okay. go. There we go. Nailed it. And until next week. Don't go dying on us. Bye-bye. Bye. You have just heard... A true Hollywood murder mystery. I have never seen anything like this before. Movies, Broadway, music, television, all of it. A place that manufactures nightmares. Okay, everybody, that's a wrap. Good night. Please drive home carefully and come back again soon.